So, Romans 8, verses 10 through 17. So you can follow along up on the screen. It's going to be a slight different version that I'm reading from, from the Bible in my hand, um, but it'll all make good sense. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if the spirit you put to death, excuse me, but if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because of those who are led by the spirit of God are the sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received a spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now if we are his children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's pray. So Lord, I pray that... um, as Joel comes up to teach this morning, Lord, that you would use him to make these words, make your words, Lord, clear to us that we would better understand who we are in you, that we are your sons and your daughters, uh, that you love us dearly, and we are heirs, Lord, to your kingdom. Um, so bless him, bless his words. Uh, just thank you, God, for all that you have given us, this property, uh, and this time that we share together. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, Joel. Oh, wow, thanks. Uh, thanks, Renner, for the introduction. All right, uh, good morning. And uh, it's good to see uh, some old faces back again. Let's see, how's my mic? Is this okay? A little echoey? We're good? We're good. Okay, great. So, um, like Renner read, I'm going to be uh, preaching out of Romans 8, 10 through 17. And uh, that kind of came from a book that Brian Kelly gave me um, called Overcoming Sin and Temptation that was from John Owen, who's this really gnarly, um, well, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't call him super gnarly, but he was uh, a Puritan from like the 1600s, and so he's really tough, and uh, really tough on sin, and I don't know, at the same time, like sin back then, there were some sins going on that were super prevalent, like slavery and stuff, so maybe he needed to be really gnarly, but he was super gnarly. And so I want to just start off before digging into Romans by going back and just affirming some, some truth that we hear throughout the Bible in the Old Testament and New. Like Renner prayed that God loves us, that he just has so much love for us, um, for his people. So I'm going to go to Jeremiah 2 and just uh, backtrack to there real quick to uh, hear about God's love and faithfulness for us. Um, In Jeremiah 2, 2 through 3, God says, I remember the devotion of your youth, how as a bride you loved me and followed me through the desert, through a land not sown. Israel was holy to the Lord, the first fruits of his harvest, and all who devoured her were held guilty and disaster overtook them, declares the Lord. This is God just saying 
Um, and we get this, this analogy in a couple places in the Bible that the church, uh, God's people, are, are God's bride. And that there's love there. Um, we also hear that God is a father to the fatherless. So there's this love like towards a bride and this love towards a child. This strong love. And God's saying, remember? Remember the good old days when you loved me and I loved you? And if anyone came after you, I would protect you? There was this, this beautiful love relationship and God says, remember that. How I cherished that. How good that was. We see how much joy it brings God to have that close, loving relationship towards us and how much he desires that. Then, as we see periodically throughout the Bible, as we know in our lives, Jeremiah 2, 12 through 13, just skipping ahead um, a couple verses. Um, or I'll go to verse 11. Um, Has a nation ever changed its gods? Yet they are not gods at all. But my people have exchanged their glory for worthless idols. Be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror, declares the Lord. My people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water, and have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. So God says, remember this time? We were close. We loved each other. It was beautiful. It was great. Yet you turned away from me, your God, and, and like committing adultery, you went to these other gods who aren't even gods. And so you had this spring, this well of living water, and you went away from that for a cistern. A cistern isn't even a well. It doesn't even produce water. It's like this hole you dig in the ground that you pour water into yourself. But you said it's a broken cistern. It doesn't even hold water. That's what you did. We had this love. It was great. And then you forsook me for the cistern. And I think that that's, uh, even though... It's from Jeremiah, it's the Old Testament, so old. What a, what a picture of my life that is. What a picture of our lives. Um, I just know the beauty of being in worship, being in prayer, being close to God, and how often I'll forsake that for things that, things that are a cistern that I have to pour myself and my life into. I, I put so much energy into, um, so much of my dreams into things of this world. I want to be wealthy. I want to be successful. I want to... I want to have all these things that I think are going to satisfy me. And I pour all of my, my love and my life into it, and then it's a broken cistern. And it's just, it gives nothing back. It's totally empty. And God says, that's what you did. And so the first part here that I think is so important is that God loves us. Like a father, like a groom would love his bride, he just wants to be with us. And we have this pattern of just going away from him and then giving our love to something that just gives nothing back. It's a total waste. Um... In, uh, earlier in Romans, and here's the thing with Romans 8, it's so thick and, and just filled with like allusions and, and uh, like allusions with an A, not an I, um, to like other parts of the Bible that it, I feel like I have to jump around, even the book of Romans, to understand 8. Um, so earlier in Romans, we have Romans 3.23, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Just this condition of giving ourselves to broken cisterns, we just see this over and over, and Romans so it's clearly, everyone does it. All have sinned. Everyone falls short of God's glory. So this is a, is a human condition. And then we hear in, uh, in Romans 8 that it's more than just an action, but yes, it's that condition. Um, that uh, oh, oh, sorry, that's Romans 7. It's Romans 7. We read in verses 18 to 20 that... Uh, 
I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. And then in 23 and 24, But I see another law at work in the members of my body, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner to the law of sin at work within my members. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? It's a condition. It's part of our body. It's body of death. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord that he can save us from this body of death. So, um, I just want to, yeah, just get, get all these foundations set. That God loves us, yet we give ourselves to things that give nothing back. I and mean, it's a total waste. Um, and then we also have this body of death that Paul talks about, that we all have. That's, it's part of just that indwelling sin. Um, he says, there are good things I desire to do that I don't do. And there are evil things that I don't desire to do that I do. And that was something in going through the scripture and reading John Owen, who's like, you are bad. You do bad things. I was like, yeah, that's true. Um, but really just meditating on that and being like, okay. Um, and, and just two examples from my life. Something good that I desire to do. It's so, it's, so, uh, it's so frustrating that it's like, clearly I want to do this, but I don't. I know I need to spend time every day with Jesus in the word, in prayer, and not just like a little look. I need to spend time in God's presence. I just know it because when I do, it's that spring of living water that we read about in Jeremiah. So clearly that I just feel the Lord minister to my soul and I, I have a desire that, 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 just, that grows the desires um, for things that, that do fill me of, uh, of honoring God. I desire to do it so much and yet so often I don't. And that's that, that sinful body. Um, that Paul talks about. And then just on the other side, there's, there's evil that I don't desire to do, but I continually do it. And it's just evidence of that body of sin. Ev- evidence of that sinful nature. That I don't want to be focused on the present and the immediate future and my own gratification. I want to be focused on God and his kingdom and his glory, and yet I'm just focused on what feels good for me. And sometimes that's that's so simple and that's so little, like just being, just being selfish and, and being, man, there, there's so many times in reading, reading John Owen, and I'm not even going to read it because sometimes it's like, wow, this is it's almost like too harsh, but he, it's just, if you look at yourself when I look at myself, I almost can't explain the sin that I have because it makes me so ashamed. Whether it's um, just being ungrateful to God and, and, and not, being, not being grateful for everything that I have, but just being thinking that somehow it was, is what I created, um, to being... To being so selfish and unkind towards Krista, my wife, who, who obviously loves me and is so gracious and kind to me, there are times I'm just so selfish and I'm so focused on my own needs and I'll, I'll, put, I'll put our fights or everything onto her and just say, oh, that's, those, are, these are faults of her. And it's just that, that sin nature that 
I feel so deceived because I know the truth and I know God. And yet I can be so, I can be so bitter, so spiteful. Paul, Paul speaks about this and he recognizes this. And, and I think that I just feel so ashamed sometimes that within me is sin, within me is brokenness, and I can be so deceived. What I don't want to do, I do. Time and time again, even after I've realized it's wrong. Things that I do want to do, being in God's presence, I don't do it. Even after I've experienced it and I know how good it is. That brings us to Romans 8. And we see that God has made a path for our salvation. That there, is, there are things that have been done to be able to put that sin nature to death. And to, uh, to be alive and experience life in Christ. Um, so I'm just going to read that again because Brian read it a little bit ago and I know my own memory is going. But it's Romans 8, 10 through 17. Um, and you can look at it there too. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. Because those who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. In Christ's death, when he went to the cross, he was the perfect sacrifice for our sins and our own body of death. So with Christ's death, if we receive it, that puts our own death and our body of death. That, that puts this body of death to death. And then we receive the Holy Spirit. And that, in that is life and in that is peace. Um, in, in 8 verse 4, we read, God, verse 3 and 4, For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature but according to the spirit. As Christ died, he put that sinful nature to death so that we could live in the spirit. So, in, uh, in, uh, in John Owen's book, he talks about this putting, putting our sinful body to death. The, the fancy word for that is mortification or the killing of that sinful body. He talks about the process of that as well. And the first, the first, part, of, the first part of mortification and putting our, our sinful, sinful body to death is what Jesus did. And it's really important to recognize that, that it's not by our own strength, it's not by our own power that we put this to death, that Jesus already did that. And then the second part is receiving the Holy Spirit. And so if you haven't 
accepted Jesus and accepted the Holy Spirit, then this, this process of mortification and putting sin to death can't happen because it's just based on the power of Jesus and then the Holy Spirit that we're able to do that. From there, we need to accept the conviction of the Holy Spirit. And, and this, was, this was really uh, important to me, and I was talking about that earlier, that when I look, when I look at my sin and what, what I'm actually doing, what I'm actually thinking and feeling, it's so dark that there's that shame there. And I think that that's really important, that we allow the Holy Spirit to convict us and that we are allowed, that we allow ourselves to hate our sin. Um, going back to Jeremiah, we, uh, when Israel's turning away from God, um, in verse, uh, I think 12 it was. Yeah. God says, be appalled at this, O heavens, and shudder with great horror. So often I minimize my sin and I'm not, I don't allow myself to be appalled at my sin. We need to remember that Jesus' grace and what he did on the cross to um, be that, that perfect sacrifice, to atone for our sins, can never be used to justify sins. And that's absolutely not what it was there for. And so there needs to be that conviction of the sin of seeing this is so evil. If I, if I only, man, when I, The only example I can think of, and I don't, this is bad, but the only example I can think of is like being mean to Krista. And I don't want to just like keep going over this. Like, I'm so mean to Krista. But <laughs> I don't know. I think like every, every married couple knows that there, there's conflict with your spouse and then you'll step away from it and there's just so much shame that comes from the way you were able to treat another person. And not just any other person, but the person that you love and you said, I'm going to commit my life to you. And um, whether it's like, if I raise my voice at Krista, like if I yell at her, like it's just, I'm ashamed of it. It's insane that I could, that I could lose, lose self-control so much that I think I'm justified to do that. And so when I go to Jesus and go to the Holy Spirit, there needs to be that acknowledgement that what I did is is like be horrified oh heavens and that's what i need to bring to the holy spirit and then i need to listen and allow god to tell me whatever my sin is god what do you think of that sin because jesus was not okay with sin he wasn't like chill with sin we see that like that's the whole reason he had to die because it wasn't like no big deal and when Jesus goes into the temple and is like beating on the tax collectors, it's, it wasn't like no big deal. So Jesus, that grace and that forgiveness was for sin that was so horrific that God couldn't even look at it. And that's why he had to take it away. There have been times in my life, I think like an athlete, um, there's a story, it's like this really, really common story that gets passed around of Kobe Bryant saw this like great sports psychologist 
Um, and Kobe was like playing bad, and then the sports psychologist was like, hey, I got a secret for you. And then he won six champion, five championships. And it's um, after you make a bad play, he would like move his finger like this. He would flush it, like just flush it down the toilet. And uh, so it's like, you know, he does like his shot, he bricks it, then he flushes it. He's not going to let that affect future shots. He's not going to go into a spiral. He's not going to focus on that. He's just going to imagine, I'm Kobe Bryant, I'm a great shooter. So the next three he takes, he's going to make it, right? And so it's a really, really important principle in sports. Volleyball is huge. Golf is huge. If you're focusing on the mistake you just made, you're going to play poorly. So no matter what happens, no matter how bad you are, you got to flush it, move on to the next point. And a lot of times that's how I've just handled my life. Like, I don't know, maybe we'll just have to stick on it. I'm sorry, Krista. Like, we get in a fight, I'm terrible, I'm selfish, prideful, and say something like rude and hurtful intentionally, and then it's like, gotta flush that. No, you don't just get to flush that. Like, that's, that's not how that works. Like, Jesus, Jesus didn't die on the cross and just be like, flush that. And that's, that's how I've thought about it. I shouldn't even flush that. Like, I need to go and like sit in that for a little bit. But we just, uh, I think uh, here's a really great example of that. We'll get, I'll talk a little bit more about me, but we have to go to uh, 2 Samuel 12, um, and we're going to read about David. And uh, God said, David is a man after my own heart. But he messed up big time. So let's see if David just flushed it. No, he didn't. All right, where are we at? Okay, 2 Samuel. Getting lost out here. Okay. I don't use this Bible a lot, so I get thrown off. Just making excuses up here. That's good. <laughs> Second Samuel, I will find you. Okay, 2 Samuel 12, 5 through 7. Uh, this is the story of, uh, oh shoot, i got to give it some context. David was the king, super powerful. One day he's not at war like he should be, leading the troops. He's just at home on the roof. He sees Bathsheba, who's beautiful, and he's like, all right, I would love to be with her. His heart is filled with lust, and he finds out that she is married, and so he sends her husband to the front lines where he dies in battle. And then he br says, bring Bathsheba to me, and he sleeps with her. Um, this is the type of thing that it's like, I can, I can say it quickly, and maybe it's a Bible story, so we've heard it before, but it's incredibly, incredibly dark and sinful, and it's like mind-blowing, right? But David, just in his sin, wrapped up in it, doesn't necessarily, he doesn't bring it to God. And so... Nathan the prophet, um, oh, oh, I guess I, I breezed over that part. So, uh, 2 Samuel 15 to 20, 12, 15 to 20, great. Nathan the prophet um, comes to David and tells him a story. It's, a, it's like an allegory about a man who has a lot of sheep and then steals this other guy's sheep. 
And David gets like furious. And he's, what does he say? He says, the man who did this, um, David burned with anger against the man who stole the sheep and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. Then Nathan, Nathan said to David, you are the man. And then David's like, oh my gosh. You know, he like finally realizes how terrible he is. Um, and then verse 15. After Nathan had gone home, the Lord struck the child um, that Uriah's wife had born to David. So this is Bathsheba and David's child. And the child became ill. David pleaded with God for the child. He fasted and went into his house and spent the nights lying on the ground. The elders of his household stood beside him to get him up from the ground, but he refused and would not eat any food with them. On the seventh day, the child died. David's servants were afraid to tell him that the child was dead, for they thought, while the child was still living, we spoke with David, but he would not listen to us. How can we tell him the child is dead? He may do something desperate. David noticed that his servants were whispering among themselves, and he realized the child was dead. Is the child dead? he asked. Yes, they replied, he's dead. Then David got up from the ground. After he had washed, put on lotions, and changed his clothes, he went into the house of the Lord and worshipped. Then he went to his own house, and at his request, they served him food, and he ate. So, um, I think that, and John Owen talks about this, he says, when you get forgiveness, it needs to be from the Lord and from the Holy Spirit. And when you get guilt and judgment, it also needs to be from the Holy Spirit and from the Lord. So David did this terrible thing. And when God's judgment was visited upon him in the sickness of the child, for seven days, he wept and he fasted and he laid on the ground. And then after seven days, the child died and David went washed himself, and went to the temple to be with God. And then, after that, he ate. And so, knowing that Jesus is a, or, sorry, David is a man after God's own heart, I believe that during those seven days, he was going to the Lord, praying for his new son's life, and God was not letting, was not giving him forgiveness yet. And was saying, it is good that you spend this time in mourning. It's good that you spend this time in repentance. After the child died, David goes to the temple and spends time with God. And at that point, God says, you can go home and eat. And I know in my own life, there are times when I'll do something that is, is sinful and is wrong. And what I should be doing is going to God in repentance and spending as much time as God wants for me to get myself back to him, back close to him, to understand his will and know what's going on. But instead, I'll just like flush it. I'll be like, I'm forgiven. It's okay. I need to just get back in the game. There are other times when I'll sin and then instead of going to God and maybe receiving his grace, I'll, I'll internalize it and I'll start to say things that I know aren't true. Things from the devil like, um, I'm so dirty and so broken that I couldn't even go to God. And so I can't receive his, his forgiveness right now. And 
I will, I'll be harder on myself than God wants me to. Because God wants me to come to him and receive his grace, but instead I'm all like, oh, woe is me. I'm so bad. I can't even go to God. And so God, this part is just God has made a path for our salvation through Jesus' death and through the Holy Spirit living in us. And to have this, to put this body to death, we need to spend time in God's presence, acknowledging that darkness and accepting the grace. Not on our timeline, but on his. And that's how, that's how we go through this process of putting our sin to death, is by bringing it to God. Not, um, not by bringing it on ourselves and saying, oh, woe is me. And not by, not by just flushing it, saying, well, I'm forgiven. But mourning and repenting and receiving God's grace on his timeline. Um, Uh, I, I, got a, I, got, I got real turned around in, in looking at Romans 8. There's, there's really a lot there, so I'd encourage you guys to look at it yourselves. Um, and so I, I think I'll just close by like reiterating what I learned from this discussion of, uh, of our, our sin nature and the work of the Holy Spirit in us. And it was just that... Um, We're no longer slaves to sin if the Holy Spirit lives in us, if and only if. Um, and so the only way that we can escape our sinful nature that forces us to do things we don't want to do and stops us from doing things we do want to do, the only way to live that life and, and receive that future glory to be co-heirs and children of Christ is to receive the Holy Spirit and just spend that time with the Lord because it's only God's, God's grace and the sacrifice that Jesus did, the Holy Spirit living inside us, that's going to um, erase that, um, that do the work of killing that sin nature. Um, and that's not something we should bring upon ourselves, but should just continually uh, bring to God. Uh, please pray with me. Jesus, we love you this morning and we thank you for the sacrifice that you made that allows us to come to you. Holy Spirit, we thank you that you live inside us and you are doing, doing the work to redeem us and bring us closer to you. God, we, we love you and we just need you. We want to do work for your kingdom through the Spirit and not work for ourselves or, or riches in this world that are meaningless, that we wouldn't go after cisterns that are just going to steal our strength and give us nothing back. Uh, Jesus, we love you and pray all these things in your precious name. Amen.